we read this, it's important to remember that um, from verse 2 of chapter 3 all the way down to verse 1 of chapter 4, that's one passage and really should be read together. And so we've looked at this in bits over the last few weeks, but it's essential that we remember that this is all part of one thought flow on, on the part of the Apostle Paul. He starts out by warning people about uh, those that think you have to be Jewish in order to be Christian, uh, and said, you know, don't, don't follow that, because we are God's covenant people, uh, and we should put no confidence in the flesh, and he talks about all the confidence that he had in the flesh by being a super Pharisee, very religious, uh, and so on and so forth. But he says, you know, I, I'm going to be a loser. I'm going to count all of that as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus because I really want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and even share in his sufferings uh, so that I can become like him. And then he goes on, but, you know, I haven't really got there yet. Uh, I'm on the way of getting there, but I'm going to keep going because Christ Jesus has grabbed a hold of me and made me his own. And, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to keep on with this. Uh, and I'm going to do one thing, and that's press on. And I'm going to press on and press on until I get the goal and win the prize for which God called me. And if you're mature, you're going to think this way. And if you're mature, you're going to hold on to what you've attained so far and not fall back. And so we pick up there with verse 17. Brothers and sisters, and by the way, when I say brothers and sisters, the Greek word there, uh, translated brothers, means brothers and sisters. And we know that Paul is addressing a mixed group of people. So it can mean just brothers if you're talking just about men. But in Paul's case, we know that he's talking to men and women because he mentions something to them a little bit later on, talking about uh, Yodi and Syntyche. I've had a marble invasion, which is great. Okay, so brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, we're dealing with so many different teachers and preachers and authors. Uh, we have such a resource as Christians as never before in the history of the church. Right now on my computer at home, I have more books and more resources than most ancient libraries had in their total collection. And that's just on my computer. Uh, and you can pop on the television and you can turn on various uh, television channels and you can go 24 hours a day watching teaching, watching preaching, uh, being encouraged. You can turn on Christian radio and you can hear many teachers and many preachers, uh, including myself from time to time, uh, on there. 
and we have all of these resources and all of these people speaking into our lives. And, and one of the great challenges that we face is who do we listen to? Who can we trust? Which way should we go? And the challenge is made deeper by the fact that right now, as never before, except possibly in the early years of the church, we're seeing more and more leaders fall away from the gospel. Almost every other week, I'm hearing about another leader who's renounced part of their Christian faith, who's renounced the Bible as God's word. Uh, some even become uh, atheists. Uh, some actually move into uh, kind of Christian sects, uh, S-E-C-T-S, and some fall into non-Christian sects, S-E-X. And this is happening all the time. And some of these people have had significant ministries, large ministries, been on radio and television, and you see them and you begin to think, wow, what has happened there? And your heart breaks when you see this, but you also know that there are many other people then who have followed them, who have listened to them, who have actually then fallen, uh, fallen away themselves because the teacher falls away. As the proverb says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Uh, and so this is a real issue. The issue of who do we trust? The issue of who should we listen to? And there's a lot of teaching. A lot of the teaching out there is good. And some of the teaching by some of these people that have walked uh, for a certain time has been good teaching. And then all seems to be invalidated by the lifestyle choices that they make. Now this is not to say that there are any sinless teachers. You do understand that, right? There is error in everybody. There's only been one errorless teacher that ever lived, and that's Jesus. He's the only one that did not have error in his teaching. Uh, everybody else did. You know that Peter had error in his teaching because Paul had to correct him. I know that I have error in my teaching. It just, I don't know what it is. And so I'm constantly looking to change and to improve and to grow. And also, not only does every teacher, every preacher, every leader have error in their teaching, they also have sin in their life. Now, this may be shocking for me to tell you. And so, please, you know, if, if you think you're going to be really shocked, deeply offended, close your ears now. I have sin in my life. Uh, I know, I know you talked to my wife and she said, no, I don't have anything wrong in my life at all. Uh, but, you know, no, you didn't. Because she knows better than anybody. Uh, but I take comfort in the fact that you have sin in your life too. So we're all kind of in the same boat like that together. So this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about sinless people because the only sinless person was Jesus. We're not talking about errorless people because the only errorless person was Jesus. But we are talking about people who are walking away, who are denying their faith, and we're wondering, what do we do? And this becomes even more important in this time, in this season, because Living your life as a Christian is becoming increasingly difficult. I mean, we have challenges all the time. And it, it's not only difficult because, you know, like the big bad world is against us. I, I, I'm really not in that category. There are parts of the big bad world that are against Christians. And certainly the environment in the United Kingdom is more hostile today than it was 16 years ago. 
when we first came to London. But at the same time, I'm not talking about London being the big bad world. I'm just talking about we have distractions, we have diversions, we have so many things we could do on a Sunday, so many things that we could be involved with other than being a Christian. Why should we be Christians? It's such a challenge for us. It's a challenge to live as a Christian in our present environment. Uh, and so we're, we're facing these struggles. So how do we navigate through all of this? How do we live for Jesus in an ever-changing world? And how do we know who to listen to, who to trust? Well, in this passage today, Paul begins to address these kinds of issues and also to tell us what kind of mindset we need to have in order to persevere in the midst of such a, a changing environment. Now notice how he begins there in verse 17. He says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The first thing that's absolutely essential is to remember that it's not about good teaching. That's the thing that draws us. We want a good teacher. We want good presentation. We want something that's interesting. If somebody has a lot of great jokes, you know, we, we love that. We love jokes. Uh, I was telling, uh, uh, Olashina usually tells me his joke uh, in the morning. And so he did that uh, this morning. And I said, Olashina, I want you to play the other guitar today. And he had this look of horror in his face. And I said, well, that's my joke for the day. You know, so... Uh, 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 you know, we, we like jokes, we like all this kind of thing. But Paul says, you know what? It's not the teaching, it's not what they say, it's not how it looks that is the determining issue. It is how people live. And the question is, is this teacher, is this leader living a life that is imitating that of Jesus, that of the Apostle Paul? Does the quality of their life, the quality of their relationships, resemble that of Paul and Jesus and the other apostles or not? That's really the issue. It's not about what they say, it's about how they live, and it's not about how they live publicly in the eyes of everyone, it's how they live privately. Now that's a challenge. It's a challenge because there's a lot of people you won't get to know. Now even in a church this size, it's hard for everybody to have a deep intimate relationship with me. Uh, I'm not uh, necessarily an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. Uh, and that's you know, just part of the way that I'm wired. There's nothing wrong about that. There's nothing great about that. It is what it is. Uh, so how do we do this? What, what do we do with that? Well, if it's not possible for us to know the teacher, especially if we see somebody on TV or the like, it is possible in this day to find out more about their life. Find out about their marriage. You know, are they on their first marriage or their fifth marriage? And there are a lot of people out there that are getting married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced, but still maintaining their ministry. Find out about their, their family. Is it healthy? Find out about their friends. 
What about their relationships? Uh, even though even here at City Temple you may not have the depth of relationship where you've been in, in my home, you certainly will know people who have been in my home. And you need to find out, am I the person at home that you see here standing in front of you? Minus kind of the preaching voice, you know, because Karen doesn't let me use my preaching voice at home. Uh, so, and you can find that out, and you can ask people. Uh, do you know, here at City Temple, I would fire anybody. I would consider it an act of gross misconduct, because it would be lying, if a member of staff misrepresented me by saying that I was the best thing since sliced bread when I wasn't. It's essential. Talk to the elders. The elders here at City Temple, they know me. Andrew has been with me many, many years now. One of my dearest friends, but he knows a lot of my weaknesses. He knows how I've messed things up time after time after time. And one of the things I value about Andrew being an elder in the church is that he's not afraid to say, you know, Rod, I think you're wrong about that. And many times he's right. I am wrong. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that Paul is saying here. You've got to look for people who are living the life and then imitate them. It's not that you're going to be the same kind of husband that I'm going to be, especially if you're a woman. You shouldn't be. Uh, it's not going to be uh, that, that you'll teach the same way that I do or that you'll like the same foods. But look at the quality of life and say, that quality of life is what I want. I see Jesus in that. I see what Paul is saying there, and I'm going to follow them. And always be wary of somebody that you cannot find that information out about. Because if you cannot find the information in this day and age, it's likely because there's something that's not right. So look at that and look for that. And that's what we need. And not only people like pastors and elders, but older uh, Christians walking in the Lord, look for them and seek to imitate them. Learn what they do that's good. Learn what they do that's, that's healthy. Learn about the healthy relationships and imitate that. Go after that. Listen to that. And be wary of anything that doesn't fit. Because lots of people have been led astray. Lots of people fall away. And so we have to be aware of that and we have to be looking at that. And so that's the first thing Paul is saying effectively for us. As we're, if we're going to live in this world, we need to find Christian examples that we can imitate, that we can follow in the way they live because we see in them Jesus. We see in them what Paul was doing and saying. And then Paul goes on and talks about something here that really for me too is one of the greatest issues that causes grief in the world today for me, for Christians. Uh, and I, I really can begin to identify with what, what Paul says. You know, he says, I, I, I'm talking about this with tears. Now, Paul didn't have a harsh and judgmental attitude here. Paul wasn't looking for sin in people's lives and saying, ah, there's sin, I'm going to call that sin out. Oh yeah, I know what you've done, I'm going to call that out and I'm going to tell everybody about that. That wasn't the kind of mindset that Paul had, and we should beware of people who do have that mindset. You know, because there are people that do have that mindset. Karen encountered somebody uh, uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, she was talking with somebody who uh, saw, saw a book, actually a book that's on the shelf there. They're not a part of City Temple. 
uh, but I won't mention their name, uh, but was talking to this person, and the person said, oh, you know, that, that, that teacher's bad. You know, that, that teacher's terrible. Uh, that teacher's part of this emerging church movement, and they're this, that, and the other thing. And the person actually was wrong. Uh, the person they were saying was bad is not part of the emerging church movement. Uh, I, I, I've actually seen the person, I don't know the person personally, but I've read the person's stuff. And this guy had not read any of the things, he'd not really seen the person, he just, he just heard a rumor about somebody and consequently was criticizing the person and, and criticizing them publicly and doing what the Bible calls slander. And we need to be careful of those who will slander others uh, and that's not what Paul's doing here. But notice what Paul says. He says, but I have to tell you now, one of the reasons why you need to find the people to imitate and imitate them is because there are many people who, are, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now remember, for Paul, the word walk is a metaphor for how you live. Walking is about the journey that we're on. After the Lord's Supper, we'll sing a song about being on a journey, being walking, uh, about life. That's, that's a key metaphor here. And Paul says, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. For Paul, you might think, oh, these enemies, this must be the non-Christians, the pagans, the Romans, uh, the Jews, uh, those that would persecute Christians, and so on and so forth. But that's not the case. The language that Paul is using here, the language of weeping, is language that Paul only uses when he's talking about people who are Christians or who claim to be Christians. Paul does not use this language for people outside the faith. And so Paul is talking here about people who either represent themselves as Christians or who might actually be Christians. And he says there are many people right now who are living, who are walking actually as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's mind-blowing. But we certainly see it in the world today. There are many, there are many leaders today who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are many people in pews today who are walking, living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now remember, the cross is that great symbol of weakness, the symbol of brokenness, the symbol of sacrifice, the symbol of pain, the willingness of the perfect Son of God to offer Himself on the cross. And there are many who deny that reality. There are many who would say, well, Christians, they don't have to take up the cross and follow Jesus anymore. There are many who are saying, you know, Christians, they don't have to, to live lives of holiness anymore. There, there are many saying, well, it doesn't really matter what you do anymore. It doesn't really matter how you live. You know, you're, you're saved now. And Paul says that there are people who are claiming to be Christians, who are acting, or, or trying to act like Christians, who maybe actually be Christians, but in the way they live, they live in a way that denies the gospel. And haven't we seen this? How many people have we talked to who are not believers who have said, you know, the reason I'm not following Jesus is because this person who claims to be a Christian is an absolute jerk. They're an idiot. They misbehave. They criticize the way I live, but then they don't live any better. 
And certainly that's one of the reasons why many Muslims reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they see Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus, but who are not living like a follower of Jesus. And consequently, they're moving away from the gospel, not toward the gospel. That's living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And Paul says, there's not just a few people who are doing this. There are many people who are living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. How do you know if somebody is an enemy of the cross of Christ? He tells us. He says, well, first of all, he tells us the outcome of that. He says that their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Now, this could possibly mean one of two things. Paul could be saying that these people will not be saved and that in the end, they will be subject to eternal separation from God, eternal ruin, eternal destruction. And certainly there's an implication of that. Normally when Paul uses that language, he's talking about our final destiny, our final destination. Now this is not an argument about once saved, always saved, or losing your salvation, because Paul is very clear that God has a hold of us. Paul is very clear that we've been predestined. But at the same time that Paul is clear about the security that we have as Christians, Paul is also very clear to say, but don't bank on that security if you're living the way you want to live. Don't bank on the fact that you're saved if you're living like an unsaved person. Now that's one, one uh, nuance of this. The other nuance, and it's one that I've seen time after time after time, is that the outcome of that way of walking will be ruin, will be destruction. And I have seen this in life after life after life. Somebody who's been following Jesus, who walks with Jesus, but then they abandon it and they end up destroying their lives. And there is something in this world that is more miserable than not being a Christian. That's being a Christian who lives according to the flesh. Who lives according to the sinful aspect of their humanity. Who has one foot in the world. That is more miserable. And Paul says the outcome of this way of walking is ruin. And so if you're walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ, the outcome of your life will be ruined for you. It will not be good. You will not, Paul has just talked about pressing on toward the goal. The goal of your life will not be realized. And instead of the goal that God has planned for you, you will experience ruin and destruction. That's the outcome. So how do you know? if somebody's walking down this way? How do you know if you might be walking down this way? Well, he says, first of all, their God is their belly. Very poignant, powerful metaphor. But when he's, when he's saying this, he's talking about the appetites that we have. He's talking about the thing that drives us, the thing that we crave. Uh, I, I've made light a lot of times of how, how much I crave sweets sometimes. Thankfully, I don't crave it as much anymore, uh, which has made my doctor happy, my wife happy, and my body happy, uh, and that's really good. But I could still very easily go down that pathway of just eating sweet things, because I love sweet things, especially things that involve cherries. 
I, I love that. Uh, and, and so it'd be very easy for me just to keep going and keep going because that's my natural tendency. I have a craving there. But people can crave, can have an appetite for a lot of things. Some people have an appetite for money. Some people have an appetite for recognition. Some people have an appetite for a better job. Some people have an appetite for a bigger house. Some people have an appetite for a different spouse. Some people have an appetite for more relationships. Some people have an appetite for some kind of uh, uh, popularity. And so on and so on and so on. If your appetite is driving your life, and that's the key thing, if your appetite is driving your life, you're living like an enemy of the cross of Christ. You know, if you're doing the, the alcohol and the drugs and that's the thing that you're craving and you're going after that, you're living like an enemy of the cross of Christ. And whatever that appetite is, if that appetite is controlling you in any way, that has become a God for you. And that's what Paul's talking about. And there are many people, I've seen this all over the world, people who are controlled by their appetites, not controlled by the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with money. I, I, I'm with Wesley. I think you should get all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Uh, nothing wrong with uh, a nice house, a nice car, uh, good food, uh, a great spouse, uh, good friends. All of these things can be a gift from God. But if it's that craving and that craving is driving you and controlling you, then by definition you're living like an enemy of the cross of Christ. And you might think everything's okay. And for a while, Satan will allow you to satisfy these appetites and you will think that you're being blessed by God, but it means that you're not being attacked by Satan. You can go a very long time and Satan's very happy to just take a step back from you, not challenge you, not go after you, not, not do anything to your life, because he wants you to follow those appetites. If you're not going to worship him, he wants you to worship some other God rather than the one true living God. And the danger is, especially for us in the West is to think, oh, I'm prospering, things are better, I've got a better job, I'm not getting uh, attacked at work like I was, I'm getting away with this sin in my life, uh, so that must mean that God's happy with me. And that's a danger because it's a lie. It is not true. And so he says, their, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Now another way that you can tell somebody living as an enemy of the cross of Christ is they glory in things that they should be ashamed of. Well, we see this right now, you know, we're inundated in the United Kingdom with propaganda about homosexuality. And that's what it is. It's propaganda about homosexuality. Uh, and there are many people who claim to be Christians who are glorying in things that the Bible says is shameful. But it's not only that. You know, sometimes we glory in the fact that we get ahead on the basis of somebody else's misery. I read uh, an article, uh, a humorous article some time ago uh, that was just talking about how uh, a, a Christian couple were saying, yeah, this is really good, you know, because uh, this house got foreclosed on and so we were able to snap it up at only a fraction of the cost and, and really, you know, take advantage of this. 
Well, actually, if you're celebrating the fact that somebody got put out of their home because they were unable to make their payments, isn't there something wrong with that? Are we glorying in something we should be ashamed of? Uh, and you can go on and on and on. The, the people who glory in you know, being tolerant of liberalism and saying, oh, it's okay to deny Jesus. Uh, people glory in so many different things that they should be ashamed of. And you'll know it, you'll feel it, unless your heart's seared. As soon as someone starts bragging about, boasting about something that you think, you know, the Bible says this is wrong. I've seen people, going back to uh, the illustration I I said earlier, I've seen other people who glory in their ability to criticize and slander other ministers and other leaders, other ministries and other leaders. You know, that, we should be ashamed of that. Even if, if another leader has fallen, you know, I'm ashamed of that. I'm not going to glory in that. I'm not going to say, oh, hallelujah, they've fallen, but I'm standing. That's shameful. And Paul says, their God is their belly, and they'll also glory in their shame. Watch what people boast about and compare it to the, the Scriptures. And if someone's glorying in their shame, they're living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And he says, their mind is set on earthly things. It's all about what happens in the here and now. It's all about you know, having the right look and, and having the right prosperity and, and having the right impact and having the right ministry uh, or you know, having the right circumstances in our lives. It's all about that and all about that focus. And Paul says, if that's the focus, if somebody is setting their minds on things of this world... Feeling like if I've got the right bank account, if I have the right thing, then my life is going to be my life is going to be perfect. They're living as an enemy of the cross of Christ, according to Paul. And we must beware of that. And these are people who are Christians or calling themselves Christians. And the outcome of that way of life, rest assured, is ruin and destruction. And that what that's what Paul says, and that's what Paul guarantees there. And I'm like, whoa, that's big. So what do we do? I mean, how, how, how do we live? How can we handle all this? Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So how do we stand in the midst of all these people shifting around, the people living as enemies of the cross of Christ, the people who are not setting the godly example? How can we stand? He says, the way that we stand, the way that we can be strong, the way that we can be firmly grounded is by remembering that Jesus is coming again. I said last week our challenge is to remember the future. And that's what Paul is saying here again. We need to remember that Jesus Christ is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, we get new bodies. Right now, my body is a bit sore and my back aches because I was moving things around the house uh, yesterday. And when Jesus comes again, I get a new body. Right now, my body can only tolerate so much sugar. 
But guess what? When Jesus comes again, we get a new body. And I think the food is going to be great. You know, right now my body is getting older. I used to have, you know, hair that was darker in color. But Jesus is going to come again and I'm going to get a new body. And that is the reality. This life is not the culmination of everything that God plans for us and has for us. And we always have to remember that, yes, we can experience blessing in this life and we have purpose in this life and God has much for us in this life, but we must always remember that the fulfillment of all the promises of God are when Jesus comes again and there's a new heaven and a new earth and we have new bodies that don't decay and we all look great and, and, uh, and we can know each each other and be unashamed and unafraid when we're together and that's the reality and Jesus is our Savior Jesus is our Lord Jesus is going to do this by the power that's already enabled him to subjugate everything to him which means that even as we're living this life and dealing with all the the crummy circumstances that we face and all the challenges that we face and all the aches and pains that we face and all the brokenness that we face, that Jesus has overcome all of those things and that none of those things can keep us from the purposes of God in our lives. None of those things can keep us from reaching the goal that Jesus has for us, that Jesus has subjected all of those things to himself by the power that raised him from the dead so that Jesus can work all the things in our lives together so that we get to the place that we are promised that we would be. That is our reality. And that's why Paul says, stand firm thus in the Lord. You're not going to stand firm if you think God's just going to bless me in this life and I'll have everything I want. You won't stand firm if you think I'm not going to have any pain, I'm not going to have any sorrow. You won't stand firm if you think I'm going to deal with all the personal issues that I've got in my life. You won't stand firm if you think people are going to treat me like I deserve to be treated. You won't stand firm if you think you're going to have all the relationships that you want. You won't stand firm if you think you're going to have the job that you want or all the money that you might want or the house that you might want. Those things are great. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not what enables you to stand firm. We stand firm thus with the realization Jesus Christ is coming again. And anybody that starts teaching you or tells you a gospel that is earthly minded and worldly centered is a false preacher and a false teacher. And that is our reality. You know, I love life. I'm not one of those people that says, oh, you know, we need to be miserable. I'm not one of those people that says we can't enjoy things. I love the life that God's given me. I love sharing this life with you. Uh, it is a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm not being pie-eyed there. I, I'm being very realistic. I know the junk that I deal with. And if I focused on the, the junk of my life, Maybe I'd hate it. But actually, I love what God has given. Not that it's perfect. Not that it's complete. But that it's a gift. And God's given it. And we can rejoice in it. But as much as I love life, and I think we as Christians should love life, and we should outdo non-Christians in terms of joy... 
we should outdo non-Christians in terms of godly pleasure because guess who created pleasure? It wasn't the devil, it was God. We should outdo non-Christians in terms of the quality of our relationship. We can outdo non-Christians in terms of our leadership. We can outdo non-Christians almost in every way, I'm convinced, as Christians. But even with all of this, even though I love life and I'm filled with hope and I think it's filled with promise and I think the greatest days of the church are still to come and God's going to do amazing things before us and we're going to celebrate that, that's not what keeps me going. That's not what enables me to stand firm. What enables me to stand firm is that this life is not the end. That God has something amazing for us. That God has a new heaven and a new earth with new bodies in which we will rejoice and celebrate. And that's our promise. And that's how we stand firm in the Lord. And not only I can do that, we all can do that. Because Jesus died for us. Jesus loves us. Jesus has taken us as his own. He's made us his own. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. The Heavenly Father has claimed us as his children. And that will not change. And we await that Jesus. And we can trust that Jesus because we know that Jesus is the one who came from the Father. He knows what it's like. He was there. And Jesus is the one who said, okay, if you don't believe me, I'm going to die on a cross. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he did. And because of that, we can trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. And we can trust that Jesus will bring the fulfillment of everything that he promised. And we can trust that because he's given us a sign in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not only a way to celebrate the death of Jesus and his resurrection, but it's also a reminder of what Jesus has brought to us and the promises Jesus made, and how those promises shall be fulfilled. As we go to the table today, everybody is welcome. Everybody who names the name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can come and share in this meal. And as we come today, we'll invite everybody to come forward as you're ready. Just take a piece of the bread, take a cup,